We've been walking through the Minor Prophets, and uh, you're not going to get a video this morning. Sorry. <laughs> had a good experience with that last week, though. We had Ben Balzer teaching on Wednesday night over at the house, and, and he comes in, and he did a great job with Isaiah, and I'm going, Ben, where'd you get all that? Bible project. <laughs> hey, somebody's watching them. It's a good thing. Um, I tend to be a fickle enough person in the Lord that when I plan on working outside and it rains a couple days, I can begin to doubt whether I'm loved by him or <laughs> that, well, maybe he's just mad at me, you know. And I know that's foolishness, but I tend to function that way. And uh, when I walk through the first chapter of Daniel and realize the disruption that came into his life and then him weathering that, I'm always astounded. I, I look at it and I go, this guy really put himself into the mode of belief and living out what he had been taught in a way that... Uh, in a sense, defined his nobility. And, and so when Ezekiel calls him one of the most righteous men on the earth, in Ezekiel 14, he lists Noah and, and Job and Daniel as being, you know, they, their righteousness far exceeded many. And, you know, you, you understand why when you watch what he had walked through. But I want to go through that again this morning and just say that there are times when disruption comes to us in our plans or what we anticipate, and it's still essential that we hang on to the core beliefs and walk in the faith that's demonstrating that out by saying, I'm not going to be swayed by this. Uh, and so let's just, just walk through some of that in that first chapter. Um, it says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in his hand some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So in that moment, if you had been in Jerusalem, and the center of Israel's worship and Judah's worship had been right there at the temple. And a conquering come, king comes in and says, I'm taking what's a part of your temple and I'm putting it in my temple. He's making a statement saying, my God's stronger than your God. And so whatever goodies you had, that's what we're going to give to my God because I have now conquered you. Um, that wouldn't do well if you'd grown up with the temple as your center of worship, right? I mean, there would be some challenges that come to your thinking, going, what's going on? This whole uh, thing with Jehoiakim, uh, we had looked at Zephaniah last week, and he prophesied during the reign of Josiah. Jehoiakim was actually one of Josiah's sons. The first son that uh, had come into power, the, king, or the pharaoh of Egypt had carted him off and just said, nah, you're not going to reign. And so Israel at that point, or Judah, was a vassal state of Egypt. But then Babylon comes along and says, nah, we'll take them instead. 
And so um, Jehoiakim had been put up by this king of Egypt and put in place. He was only about 25 years old. What you need to understand is that uh, he was an evil man. He was a, a young fool. And he had reigned accordingly, and God just swept him away. So that said, you have, along with the articles hauled out, you have a lot of the young uh, nobility hauled out as well. It says in verses 3 and 4, He took both royal family and nobility, used without blemish of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding and learning. He took the best of the city and hauled it off. The youngest and brightest he grabbed and said, eh, we'd make use of them. And so Daniel and his friends were part of that. They, They had lived in relatively well-being or splendor for their day. You know, in some ways, it's not so much about how much you have, but often it's about how much you have in comparison to those around you, right? I mean, truth is, we live in a very affluent culture, but generally, we're looking at others around us and evaluating, and that has a lot to do with whether we're satisfied with what we have or not. I was talking with my son last night. And just mentioning, you know, what I was sharing this morning. And uh, he's going, yeah, most of us have the American dream and actually have accomplished it in that we've never had to worry about a meal to eat. We've never had to worry about clothing. We've never had to worry about shelter. Um, But it doesn't satisfy at the level that we anticipate. And so there's this unease as a part of our lives simply because we keep chasing, thinking if we get enough accumulation and enough around us, then we'll really feel peace. And yet, that's not the source of peace, and so we're still chasing the American dream, although we've already attained in some measure. And and all you have to do is go somewhere else to see that, and and, uh, you know, you recognize that Man, I've lived in splendor all my life. So these guys that were there in Jerusalem, they'd had the best of situation. So they're they're upper crust of society, so they had gotten to look and say, yeah, my life's better than virtually everyone else around here. And yet now they're hauled off. So uh, again, then then you come to, uh, you know, what commitment do I need to keep in yesterday's answers? You know, my life has been thir- thrown in turmoil. Do I need to continue to embrace the God that I had in that day, that it allowed me to live in relative splendor, that it allowed me uh, a stable situation, that it allowed me in a place of worship that was right? You know, all of that was made religion easy, but now it's gone. And so do we hang on to this or not? It goes, it, it gets further. Uh, the king assigned them a daily portion of food, and he was going to educate them for three years. So he brought them in and said, okay, I'm going to give you food to eat, but you're going to sit under our training and learn our system. So you know, the, the temptation to abandon all that you had would be very strong, right? 
And then it goes on. It says, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego. So not only did they lose country and religion center, but now they're also losing their name, that sense of identity. You know, in our culture, there's been a lot of um, talk in recent years, you know, should a woman give up her name, you know, when she gets married? I mean, you're, you're losing a portion of your identity, right? You know, and then, then we have other friends who are saying, I don't want to necessarily identify with the family that raised me. I'm changing my name. You know, we've kind of wrestled through some of those issues in ways that, you know, people are looking and just going, you know, what's in this name? Now, of that day, it was a little more common to change names, Abraham to Abraham and things like that. And even you had Saul to Paul. But when a king hauled you in and that group changed your name, essentially they're saying, everything about your past, we're wanting you to forget. We're placing something new upon you. And so you, you don't even get to call yourself by your former name. This is the new you. So embrace it. There's another twist to this. And, and uh, most likely, Daniel was made a eunuch at that time. So he's emasculated. Now, there's some argument about the words because uh, it can mean a, a, a official, a government official. But what happened is often the kings would have people watching their harems, and they'd emasculate them, and so, you know, the, they were officials. Well, in this particular, I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> Hang with me. There, in the book of Isaiah, there was a prophecy made by Isaiah that said, some of your families are going to be hauled off into Babylon, and they will be made eunuchs. Where this is significant is not just the loss of a family future, which is huge, right? Stop your dreams. The dream of getting married, done. Dream of having a family, done. All of that that's normal, just that ceases. But there's, it, it goes even a step further. Because in Old Testament times, in regard to the temple worship, a eunuch was not allowed in the temple. And there's an association with that because often the cultic worship, they would emasculate themselves as a part of their worship under their cultic God. And so this was staving off this kind of um, blending of religions. And so when this would have taken place, it would have had to be going through the minds of these young men Will I even be allowed to worship God again? So the temptation to just leave it all is huge. Everything that you can point to that would cause you to just abandon faith, there's opportunity in this story. Now, Isaiah did make another prophecy when he talks about, you know, will, will the, the foreigner and will the eunuch be embraced? He's saying yes. You know, and, and that's a, 
a beautiful declaration that it has to do with the heart that's going to go forward in worship. But to have all of that as a part of your life, all of this disruption and yet to step forward into this story as we see it, to me that's a powerful, powerful witness. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself, says verse 8. So he's offered all the king's food, he's offered the wine, he's offered the training, it's all laid before him, and he just says, I do not want to defile myself. I'm not going to go down this path. So his belief is firm enough, even in the disruption, that he is anchored in going to continue. So it says, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs and said, but I fear the Lord, my king. You know, and if I end up, you come out bad, I'm going to be in a bad place. Endanger my head. So he's refused to despair. He's refused to defile himself. He's in this situation, but he at least has the courage to step out and ask. He said, well, maybe you could put us to the test. You know, give us 10 days. If we look worse, well, then I don't know what to tell you, but can we at least try this? And, and to me, there's this thing of, you know, he could have just said, well, it's the rules. I just, I'll have to do this in this moment. But he allows an open door for God to answer his prayer that he can continue in faith. And so he takes this this step forward, you know, to even ask, which, you know, a lot of times we just step away because it's too much trouble or too much, you know, what, you know, you've been hauled off, you've been given this window of opportunity, why would you even risk it? And yet he chooses to step forward and say, I'd rather not go down this road. It's an amazing thing. Well, they took away his food and drink uh, for 10 days and gave him vegetables. Now, let's not, let's not pre- be preoccupied with the food as much as saying, it was a condition of the heart that had application in diet. Okay? Um, now, I know Adam and Eve, you know, it came down to a piece of fruit. Um, Jesus was tested with bread. But then you have the other side of the coin where you have a prophet like Elijah who knows the, the rules, and yet God provides for him with a raven. You know, what do ravens do? Here, they're eating roadkill, right? They're scavengers. So they're looking for dead animals. What do you think Elijah was eating? Be my guess that uh, there were several ways of being defiled about this. Fed by an unclean bird, unclean food, living by the hand of God. So (laughs) in the New Testament, the Gentile issue came down to, you know, are are we going to put them under the same dietary rules as us? And 
it came up, no, that's not the core of our message. Paul makes this statement. He says, if I can find it here in Romans, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say that if a man loves Christ, then he has and God's blessing and the favor of man. Paul was wrestling through this issue of, you know, what happens when people eat and they can disrupt others' faith by doing such things? He says, that's not wise. Or what happens when people try to put their positions on you and force you into behavior? And he's going, that's not wise either. So you got these two extremes. He's going, it's more than food, folks. You know, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those are the things that we really ought to be preoccupied with. But that said, our faith invariably ends up having application in the very simple things of life as well, right? And so there's opportunity for obedience at every level. We, we think about the important things and we treat them with importance, but we know that God is willing to be involved in every facet of life and has something to say about all things. And so that often spills out even to issues of diet, where we have opportunity to hear from him. What a beautiful thing that is. You can either treat it as, as a form of bondage, as saying, well, he wants to control everything. Or you open up your life to say, he's got something of value to say in every facet. And if we're willing to hear it, it's powerful and life-giving. It's not a put my thumb on you and, and, and watch you squirm, but rather it's a this is a way to blossom. The creator who understands every facet of things is willing to give insight that will enable for life and health and well-being in him. Anyway. So they, they go through and uh, they, they make these decisions and they are blessed because they, they end up healthy. But then God adds to this equation and that's the beauty of it. You know, where they've taken the step of faith, they've done their best to apply themselves whether there's any benefit or not. You know, they've already lost their homes. They've already lost their families. They've lost their future. They've lost, you know, their place of worship. But they've still made this commitment, and God pours into their lives even in this setting. And, and that's something to discover in him, that he never takes away except that he puts something else in its place. And he never you know, crushes except that there's a, an opportunity for a beauty to come out of that. And sometimes he breaks off structures so that we can truly grow. He takes out walls, so to speak, and it's painful, but it, it's for the expansion of the house, so to speak. So it says, God gave them learning and skill in all literature 
and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So there was a spiritual gift given to them that went beyond what they already had in the natural. You know, they'd been bright, and they'd been seen as having potential, but it says God poured into them in a way that wasn't natural. So it's exceeding expectations. And yet, at the end of time, he found there were none like them. They excelled in everything. They rose to the top. And it was a mark of God upon their lives. There's one final verse in this particular chapter, and it says, Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Essentially, there's a longevity to what he's doing. You know, God brought him into this place. He, he exerted a measure of faith. God poured into him an ability that went beyond any expectation, and it allowed him to flourish in this role for years and years and years. It's an amazing story. You know, and as, as you look at and read through it, you recognize God was faithful to these men even in a situation that wouldn't have been anyone's choosing. So the question, I guess, you know, for us is like, what's it take to disrupt our lives and why would we allow that to disrupt us? You know, if, if there are things that unravel us, why... Is it possible we're placing too much energy or too much um, trust in those forms or those situations? Is it possible that we're assuming that that's a part of the blessed life in the Lord and it's got to be that way? Where really he's trying to draw a line and say, no, that is, your life isn't dependent on that. Sometimes he plucks stuff away from us just to prove that in in our lives. And it isn't until we come to terms with it that, he's, that there's an open door for blessing in us that way. Sometimes we're at that place too where we need to exert a measure of faith that says, you know what? I'm going to have to take a risk here. I'm going to have to risk that maybe I'll get tossed out of this program that's providing my food and whatever else. But uh, this is important enough in the Lord that I need to make this declaration. And sometimes there's just the position of saying, I've done that, and it's time for God to enable me at a level that I, didn't, that I don't have in myself. But that's all available within the kingdom of God. So Lord, we thank you for this passage. And the wonderful example laid out for us through the life of Daniel. And I pray, Lord, for those that would be going through struggle in this moment, not to minimize it in any way, but I pray that you would make them victorious and to see a bigger picture. And for those that are at that edge of needing to make a declaration of faith that says, I'm going to take a, a moment of risk here, then give them confidence that you have everything under control. And Lord, for those that have taken the risk, I ask for a pouring out of your gifts in a powerful way that they see you exceed even expectations. Amen. Amen.